All right. Well, we're going to talk to Brian and Julie and Barbara. And Brian's up first. Good morning, Brian. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I'd like to first. I'd like to first say thank you for your expert advice, well. and also a big thank you to your sponsors that allow you. Uh, to put on this program <laughs> and i have to say much as i grudgingly hate to admit it thank you to ktsa for not trying to micromanage me the way they do so many other people i am free to talk with and about the people that uh believe as we do and i'm sure most of our audience does so i appreciate it very much what's it going on in your world today well uh i'm considering i've got a common bermuda grass lawn uh-huh and it's kind of thin and uh, I want to. I'm considering maybe trying to overseed it with some buffalo grass, something that'll give me a little bit uh, less watering during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, is your Bermuda grass in full sun? Uh, mostly it is. Yes, sir. Okay. I Bermuda grass and buffalo grass don't make a good mix. Because in dry weather, the buffalo is going to dominate. The Bermuda is not going to do a lot. But give us six months of good moisture, and your Bermuda grass is going to totally crowd out the buffalo grass. Bermuda grass will will choke out uh, everything out there except St. Augustine. And when Bermuda grass is happy, uh, nothing else can compete with it. And while I really love the native grasses and things like the Habiturf, which is a native grass blend, um, it's just uh, <laughs> it, it, it's just kind of a losing proposition because we get into a year that's really good for Bermuda grass, and it's going to kind of take over. So my advice for the same amount of money, you could buy a lot of water, you could buy a lot of good organic fertilizer, and as long as your Bermuda grass is getting good sun, it should be so thick and dense that uh, that it makes a beautiful yard. Now, if I were going to do anything, I might get some of. I'm I'm a big fan of the real compact Bermuda. They call Tiff Green or Tiff 419. The stuff they use on golf courses, especially on greens and rough areas. And I would start introducing some of that into my common Bermuda lawn because I think long term it makes a denser, prettier grass. But um, especially going into what may be a wet spring, I your, your Bermuda's going to surprise you. We're not into Bermuda grass growing season, but if you put out some good fertilizer now, if you would supplement when we go for a week or 10 days without any decent rainfall, put a little water on, I think you're going to be amazed at what your Bermuda grass will do. And uh, it should thicken up. It should be exactly the yard you're looking for. And I think it's going to be less frustrating than to try to introduce a weak, drought-tolerant grass into a strong, water-loving grass. And this is, I just don't think this is a year to do it because um, unless we really go dry, and the meteorologists I trust tell me that's not going to happen for at least another three, four, five months minimum, um, I think your Bermuda is going to really surprise you when it starts growing. So, uh the uh, varieties of Bermuda grass you're talking about are those propagated by seed. The uh, the TIF uh, grasses, the dwarf compact Bermudas, are not propagated by seed. There are some compact Bermudas that can be seeded, but uh, the really good, tough, hardy TIF varieties, uh, those are are simply put out as little plugs of grass. 
And again, I would tell you, like we were talking about agricultural land, you don't have to do it all at once. Uh, you can get whatever your minimum amount of uh, the grass sod is, something that you can plant in a short period of time. But chop it up into little three or four inch squares. Go stick that a foot apart, 18 inches apart, two feet apart, and um, let it get started. It's going to give you the densest, prettiest lawn uh, that you've ever seen. Now, Bermudas, by their nature, they're going to brown out in the winter months. They uh, they don't have the long green period that some of the other St. Augustine grasses do. But when you want a tough, hardy, beautiful, drought-tolerant grass, um, it's hard to beat. Now, if you were starting with bare soil, I would tell you, yeah, go with Habiturf, go with uh, Curly Mesquite, go with one of the good native grasses. But trying to overseed a Bermuda grass lawn with the native grasses is just not going to work. The Bermuda grass is going to uh, outcompete them every time when we have uh, a wet year like it looks like this spring's going to be. All right. And what's the best time of year for me to do the uh, top dressing compost? Right now. For my lawn. Right, right now. now? Uh, before it gets hot. Uh, January, February are when I think are, are the two best months. You can kill, continue doing it on into March. But once the weather gets really hot, you can still fertilize. But uh, the top dressing, the compost, things like that, when it gets really um, starts getting really hot, then we have to cut back on that. Well, thank you very much, Bob. Well, it is always a pleasure. Take some uh, take some pictures. If you want to experiment both ways on a small part of your yard, do so. But, you know, trust me when I tell you, if you give that Bermuda water and fertilizer when it warms up, not until it really warms up, but when we consistently start having these 80-degree days, boy, stand back. You're going to be mowing twice a week. All right. Brian, have a great weekend, and I appreciate the call. Thank you. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. We're going to talk to Julie and then Barbara. A couple of open lines. Grab one if you'd like. 210-599-5555. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Um, I have a couple of, I have three questions. One is, uh, is it okay to deal with a monstrous fig tree? <laughs> you mean deal with it with a chainsaw? Yes. It's actually taking my house over on the north side. <laughs> and and uh but I I had called you before and at one time I was wondering if I could work a little bit on it. It's time. On the bottom part. Yeah, it's time now. Um, okay. We're not guaranteed to be out of cold weather, but the figs are starting to grow anyway. I always had to do some cutting back on my biggest fig uh, this past week, and boy, the buds are starting to swell. So I'd say this is an ideal time to do the pruning. Now, as you probably know, figs have a milky white sticky sap that yeah. will get all over you. So, uh, you know, wear, wear some uh, some of your real work clothes to do the job. Yeah. But uh, uh, mine was big enough that on certain portions I had to use a chainsaw rather than pruning shears. So oh I know gosh. exactly what you're talking about, but uh, <laughs> this would be this would be a great time to do it. And you give me an uh, opportunity to, to mention once again that uh, my free seminar this morning is everything you ever want to know about pruning. So if you if you oh, want an excuse to I wait, didn't... go ahead. I'd love to. I'm in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. But, 
Everybody okay. listening that's in San Antonio ought to go. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Well, no, I, I think this is, uh, even in Oklahoma, I, I think you're fine to, you know, go ahead and uh, go ahead and get it done now. You you always lose a little bit of production, but it, like yeah. you say, the fig's going to, going to take over the house, going to take over the property if you don't. So uh, you got your work cut out for you today. Okay. And the other thing I've been listening to for 10 years, so I know you don't put things up against the, you know, the the bottom of the tree. Right. But I want to put a raised bed around a couple of, uh, oh, they're they're evergreens. Mm -hmm. And um, if I leave about two to three feet out, is that enough? Oh yeah, oh yeah. But the the thing to do, Julie, is just build a donut. Uh, this can be trees. This can be evergreen shrubs. The only plants out there that this doesn't really apply to are palm trees. Palm trees can be buried, and they don't really care. Uh, cycads like sago palms, although you don't have a lot of those in Oklahoma, no. those can be buried. But and and here, just in a nutshell, is the difference: a woody tree or a woody shrub, the tissues, the xylem, or the phloem, the, the important tissue that takes nutrients from the leaves to the roots, is in a circle around the plant just underneath the bark. In the case of a palm tree, that material is scattered in little things we call vascular bundles throughout the trunk of the tree. So um, what you need to do on all your woody plants is just basically build a donut, build an inner wall to hold the wet stuff back away from the trunk, build the outer wall to create the bed that you're trying to create, and uh, you stay 18 inches, 24 inches away from the trunk. You're set for the next 20 years. Yeah, and I'm not going to put perennials in. I'm just going to put um, annuals just sure. because I put the color in. The other thing is, okay, this is my last question. Hydrangeas, they are on the north side of our house. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, it's gardening. So one year you will have just incredible, beautiful hydrangeas. The next year, like last year, I had no blooms. Mm-hmm. And I know we had a late freeze, and so I just assumed that it just caught it at the wrong time. Pretty much so. I don't know. But is the north side of a house okay for a hydrangea? In general, I would say yes. I would say the east side may be a little bit better, but hydrangeas do not like hot sun. And uh, so west side is definitely out. South side is not as good. So north side is okay. If there were anything you could do to reduce that cold north wind that Oklahoma and South Texas get, that would be a good thing. Uh, The problem Mm -hmm. with the hydrangeas that you have um, is that they are the old-fashioned varieties that really typically they they bloom once. And if the weather is such that it freezes those buds as they're developing, even if they're still the bud primordia, that you can't even see the buds, uh, they mm-hmm. freeze once and you're done for the year. If you plant any more, there are some good reblooming hydrangeas out there. Uh, the the most uh. the most widely available series is called Endless Summer. And if you plant Hold more, on. plant these, because if you get a bad year and you get those blooms frozen off, they'll make more very quickly. Okay, endless summer. Yeah, okay. and there's pinks. And do there's they come in the different colors. I mean, like yes. pink. They're mainly pink, pink, white. Like I'm sure it does come in a blue. Blues just do not do well down here, so I haven't grown those. But the pinks and the whites are absolutely gorgeous, and uh, 
They'll probably do even better for you than they do for us. Okay. Thank you, and thank you, Bob, very, very much. It's always a pleasure. Hey, you have a great weekend, Julie. Thanks so much for the call. Goodbye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, Let me go ahead and talk to Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Hi. Uh, I missed the first few minutes of your um, talk with the the Morales Feeds guy. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, I was really interested. You, I came in where you were talking about the price of oil. Does that mean that calling that stuff out from the cities to the farms where we need to get it is just too expensive because of the cost of fuel? Well, it's not really. It's it's just a paradigm that needs to change. Uh, labor, of course, is the most expensive thing that anybody's dealing with. And, uh, of course, our solid waste people... Um, have such a job just collecting, but uh, it it just we need to make it a priority that we do something with it, other than haul it to a landfill. Uh, fortunately, a lot of that stuff is going to recycling, composting sites. And uh, the other thing is that in a city like San Antonio that has gotten so efficient at it, the demand for the material we don't have a lot left over to think about moving to rural areas. But um, uh, it it's it's just reprioritizing and realizing that it's worth the man hours as well as the fuel to uh, to move those things out. Now, I don't I don't think fuel has nearly as much to do with it as simply the the high cost of labor. And don't I can't fault that people have to make a living wage. Don't cut me off. I I have a report to make too. Okay. Um, I'm out here, Walmart in Hondo. If anybody's listening, to the west side. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's vacant land, and they put some new uh, complexes into the west. All around that area are these huge cruciferous weeds. Uh-huh. They taste like collards. I'm telling you, I've never mm-hmm. seen anything like it. The leaves are huge; they're easy to cook, and I'm eating them as fast as I can. <laughs> I think other people should think about this. Well, these, this time of year, they're growing all over the place. I think there are a lot of things. It is important to know what you are consuming but there are a lot of uh things in that mustard family that do grow very well and many of them are edible i would certainly you know get a good source or check with someone um unfortunately there are some very toxic things out there and uh every year we have a few people die from eating uh mm-hmm. the wrong thing but uh well, i'm with you well, not everybody knows that cruciferous refers to, you know, a group of plants, most of which are highly edible, including our mustards and many other things. But uh, um, just deal with somebody that, that knows the plants, and um, and I'd totally agree with you. Dandelions, for that matter, are quite tasty and quite delicious and quite nutritious. This area that goes into the shade, it typically becomes uh, shady in that area, say, by mid-October. This is a time of year that the that the sun's moving southward and you're no longer getting sun on this area? Pretty much, yes. Okay. I think you would be okay uh, with Tiff Bermuda in that area, but up to the point, you know, that stays shaded all the time, I'm probably going to con- uh, consider putting in a bed of some sort. You can do some shade-loving perennials. You could put a shade-tolerant ground cover like dwarf monkey grass or Asian jasmine. But in that portion, uh, if it 
goes into the shade mid-October, that means it's probably going to come out of the shade by mid-March, which is pretty much before uh, the TIF resumes its uh, summertime growth. I think you'd be okay in that area with uh, TIF Bermuda, as long as there are no other trees or you know other things out there that it can contribute more shade. Okay. Uh, so how, what, how about next to the house? So just probably put rocks or... Ground cover? Uh, it's your choice. Um, I were at mine. Um, I probably would plant something with a little bit more height along there. If you want something low, you could plant giant liriope. You could plant aspidistra, which is going to grow 18 to 24 inches tall. Um, you could plant uh, gold dust of Cuba, which is going to grow four to five feet and uh, is happy as long as it doesn't get any hot sun and makes a you know a bigger plant um there are you know there there are lots of different choices you could plant a perennial such as a shrimp plant you could plant native plants if you like like uh, the american beauty berry or the uh, turks cap those are two of them that are pretty pretty much year-round in an area like that then there are things like our gold columbine that are very colorful in the spring um, we can go with something simple and low maintenance like ground cover, or we can go with something that, um, is a lot more fun to look at. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, it, thank it, you for being there. It's, uh, it is my pleasure. What I would tell you would be a good idea when you start, start shopping for plants, take two or three pictures of this area with you. And deal with a with a real nursery, not a box store. Deal with somebody that knows plants. But uh, you know they they're probably not going to come to your home. But we always tell our customers you can always bring your home to us in the form of pictures, and that way a plant professional can look at it and say, okay, well this area would lend itself to growing this, this, and this, and give you even more help. It's just you know one picture's worth a thousand words of description. Okay, I do have one more question. Yes, ma'am. You put down the, because we're probably just going to sod, should we do the fertilizer first? I think it's fine to. It doesn't make a lot of difference. Uh, You definitely do not want to put down the composter things under it. You want to put that on top. But organic fertilizer, go either way, underneath or on top, whatever is more convenient for you. Okay, very good. Thank you. Good luck with your project. Be sure and take some before and after pictures so you can proudly look back at what you've accomplished. Good idea. Thanks, Judy. We'll talk again.